Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the companion podcast to the State of US International Applications 2022. In this short series, I'll be talking to a number of guests about some of the findings in our latest white paper, and I'll be sharing some insights for US international admissions teams and hopefully insights for other university admissions teams too. So in this first episode, I'm talking to Abigail Lana, who is responsible for the content and resources that BridgeU produces for our counsellors, teachers and international students. As well as being one of BridgeU's most prolific writers, Abby is also a former international school student herself. Now, Abby, I think I'm right in saying that both of your parents have worked in international schools, which is really exciting. Yeah, they have. And so my parents um, met when they were both themselves international students in the US and then their entire careers have been working in international schools um, around the world, which is how I ended up completing most of my schooling in international schools as well. So it'd be fair to say that you've moved around a lot then? A little bit, yeah. Which to anyone wondering where the accent's from, I will probably explain the uh, slight melting pot that's going on. Well, it's lovely to have you as our first guest. So thank you for joining us. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. So I think I'm just going to dive straight in and um, start talking about the report. This is the second one of these uh, annual reports about US international applications that we've done. Um, and every year, you know, there's a lot of discussion around which countries are up, which ones are down, you know, is China up, is India down and that sort of commentary. But I've invited you on the podcast today to talk about, you know, your perceptions as an international student, because of course you've done a lot of our student content in the last year. You've been responsible for organising a lot of our student events. So I think you bring a lot of expertise about how US universities and higher education institutions can position themselves to international students. So I guess my first question is, how do you think the perception of the US as an international study destination has changed since the days you were an international student? I think that's a really interesting question. So I was applying to universities back in 2004. And just to add a little bit more context, I ended up graduating from my undergrad in 2017. So obviously this was pre-COVID, pre-Brexit, pre-Trump. Um, I think it's fair to assume that a lot has changed um, in the world at large, not just the world of higher education since then. And I think obviously things have started to settle a little bit since then, particularly in the US under Biden. But thinking about kind of what's been changing. So I think the US and the UK have long been top destinations for international students. That was true when I was looking back in 2014 amongst my peers. It's still very true today. But I think there's the the kind of three main things that I alluded to that have happened since 2014 that kind of have impacted higher education when we're talking about how it kind of international students view it in the United States is obviously, yeah, COVID, Brexit and Trump. And the reason I think those three things have had a big impact is because I think that they prompted a lot of the students who were looking in those kind of interim years between when I was looking and today to start looking at other options in other countries, especially if they had, you know, kind of time-bound reservations about applying to somewhere like the US. And in some cases, rarer cases, granted, but some cases also, we've had more students curious about online options and remote options. Simultaneously, at the same period of time, um, I think the amount of degrees offered in English by European universities has ballooned. I, You might be able to sense check this fact for me, but off the top of my head, back in 2009, we were looking at only a handful of degrees from uh, mainland European institutions ta taught in English, and today we're looking at over 3,000. So that's a really big difference, because I think when we're thinking about the US, suddenly there's a lot more competitors on the scene. And 
I think even now today, like I said, of you know things are starting to settle and we're kind of countries around the world, including the US, are starting to find their rhythm a little bit after the upheaval of the initial kind of lockdowns at the start of COVID. But I think it's important to forget that those students who were applying a few years ago as all of those changes were starting and really taking hold are today's undergraduates. And it's a lot of those students today who are sharing their experiences on social media, on forums, perhaps even to their younger siblings who are now starting to research universities. And so I think that that kind of general idea that there's a lot more options out there has just become a lot more popular with international students since I was looking. And another reason I think it's kind of important to bear this in mind is we're starting to see another key shift as a result of the pandemic when students talk today about looking at higher education. And it's got a lot to do with the global recession. I think it's caused a lot of students to question the stability of the job market they'll be graduating into. And that's something that I was already feeling myself back in 2014 and likewise for a lot of my classmates because obviously we were kind of the the tail end of the, of the 2008 recession. But I think the fact that we've had another recession and a global pandemic has compounded a lot of those fears. And given the growing popularity of other countries as potential alternatives, I think a lot more students, international students, are becoming aware that undergraduate degrees in the US tend to be longer than a lot of the alternatives offered by other countries. So the average duration tends to be about four years in a US institution, as most of our listeners will be well aware, compared to an average of often three years in a lot of other popular countries. And they're also significantly more expensive. Um, Again, looking at some of the other kind of countries that are starting to offer degrees taught in English, in some cases, we're talking about countries who offer even international students free tuition. So I think putting all of that together, what I would say, or at least from what I've seen, the biggest shift in how international students perceive the US as a as a university destination in, you know, let's say the past 10 years or even the past eight years, if we're looking at when I was doing my university research, is that a lot of them are now wondering if the cost of US university education is still as worthwhile an investment as it used to be. And I think a lot of them are wondering if it is, why? So there's so many interesting things to unpack there. I suppose one of my follow-up questions, because you've already identified a number of ways that um, there's been a lot of upheaval. So, you know, two recessions, Brexit, Trump. Um, So do you think it's caused this generation of students to become, if you don't mind me using the phrase, much savvier consumers? I mean, I know we always hesitate to talk about education in a mercurial way, but I think they are increasingly becoming more like customers. So I just wanted to sort of like dig a bit deeper into like what you were saying there. And then my next question was, you know, what was it about the US in 2014 that made it such an attractive destination? You know, what did it sort of symbolize for international students you went to school with? And, you know, do you feel like in that time since it's, it's lost something or if, you know, maybe it's, um, I don't know, it's not unique anymore and now other countries are starting to catch up? I think it's not so much that it's lost something. I think it simply has more to do with the fact that that message is maybe getting, is easier to lose when you have a lot of other competitors also on the scene. I don't know if that rephrasing will make will make as much sense as it did in my head, but I think what I'm what I'm trying to explain by saying that is I think that what made the US a really attractive destination to my classmates back then was the how widely recognized US university degrees were, how recognizable a lot of the names of the institutions were, and how versatile the degree opportunities were. 
And I think a lot of that still holds true for a lot of universities in the US today. But I almost think that it's it's almost become more of a case of distinguishing why that is still true when you have a lot of other universities in a lot of other countries who are starting to be able to make a lot of those same claims and in some cases have you know the kind of growing interesting the growing interest from international students to to, to kind of to back them up to give you i think an example off off the top of my head and i think something that i've seen come up a lot is you know what what's actually going to be the difference between studying in the US in terms of career opportunities, internship opportunities, the degrees you get to study, the academic culture you get to experience compared to doing that same degree from a university that might have, you know, a similar position in a league table in another country. And you said something else um, recently um, in a conversation we were having about a piece of content I was writing um, about how some of the international students who would go to the US are obviously going back home now after their studies are completed. And there's now a question of what their degree is worth in the labour market in those home countries when I return. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, no, definitely. I think uh, I think I recall the conversation that you're you're remembering as well. And and again, I think it had in a way, I think it goes to show something that the US really has going for it. That US degrees have been internationally recognized and sought out um, by international students for a really long time now. Um, however, if there is a slight, um, I, I guess a slight maybe downside to that, um, it's that because they've been so sought after, a lot of people have chased them. And over time, they've become more and more popular. And so with a lot of international students who are hoping to study in the US, but then to move back to a country they were previously living in, the chances of, of them entering a job market in that country were actually quite a, quite a few other graduates have a US um, degree might not make them stand out as much as it would have done, let's say, 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. So is this um, almost like a question of the US being a victim of its own success and um, that just over time the US higher education has become so much more popular that um, at least now it has less value? Again, I think it depends on how you look at it. I think to, I guess, to kind of rephrase the what you've just had in a different way it's it's not necessarily that it's it's not necessarily going to have as much value but i think it's it's equipping students and in some cases even employers with the knowledge of why you know why does it still have as much value if there's so many other great alternatives what still makes it stand out and i think that actually goes back to a question we were we were talking about that international students are asking themselves today as well yeah definitely and i think that question of value comes up a lot in the counselor interviews that we've done this year for the report, because, um, you know, we were into counselors from all over the world um, and it's been really interesting, um, which leads me on to my next question, really, which is that, um, you know, what were the most sort of um, surprising or interesting facts in this year's report? You know, what, did you read things in there that made you go, oh, I didn't know that? Or, you know, were there things in there that pretty much confirmed like things that you already think about the US as a study destination? Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, it was it was a really kind of fascinating report to read, especially to um, kind of hear so many different perspectives from so many different counsellors around the world and different kinds of international schools. Um, I think for me, one of the things that that really stood out from what counsellors were were sharing was that 
The, and I think this is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe this is something that was corroborated as well by the data that, that Bridgie is analyzing in the report, but that the highest concentration of application growth this year came from countries in Europe. And I think that's really interesting for a couple of different reasons. One, because we've also been hearing that actually, you know, Europe, European degrees are also growing in popularity, ironically, often as a competitor or as an alternative option to US universities. So I think... I think one of the reasons, and and you know, the you do an excellent job of kind of unpicking this in, in more depth in the report, has to do with one of those changes that I, I mentioned at the beginning, Brexit, and that the UK, who used to have similar kind of tuition fee policies for UK students and European nationals, kind of shifting that policy and are now charging international fees um, for European students. But I I thought it was really interesting to read that you know whilst we might have some growing interest in European universities, you also have a lot of students who are currently in Europe really interested in applying to the US. And I think that says something really interesting, actually, I think to me is kind of the crux of the, you know, why is a, is a US university education still still really valuable? And I think in I think in my case as well, it it reminds me actually of something that I wish I had known when I was student because I was an international student in Europe and I actually didn't apply to the US and I very quickly regretted that decision and wish that I had and I I don't want to give kind of too many spoilers for the report but I think for me speaking solely from kind of my own memories and recollections and my time as an international student was the fact that a lot of US degrees give students the option to choose a specialization um, a lot later than a lot of European institutions do. So in a lot of universities in, in Europe, in the UK, students will have to pick a subject even before they start applying. And not only is that their major, if we're kind of translating into American terms, it's in a lot of cases, the only subject they're gonna study. And I didn't actually know that the US, a lot of institutions in the US offered students the chance to specialize a lot later and to try, you know, whether it was genuine general education pathways or to kind of try balancing a couple of minors or a major minor, the option to try out a lot more things. And so that's pretty interesting to me as well, because I think, you know, you and I have talked a lot about, about how the US positions itself to international students um, who are obviously not native to the country. Um, and, you know, they talk, need to talk, tell a story about, you know, what life in the, at that particular college will be like. And what's, you know, what's quite interesting is in some ways the IB curriculum has a lot in common with the US degree um, structure, doesn't it? Because it's, the IB is very holistic. Um, you study a range of subjects before specialising and it's got a lot in common with the sort of like major and minor um, sort of setup, I suppose, of the, of the US college degree. But it, from talking to our counsellors, it sometimes just seems as though the IB entry requirements are just quite poorly communicated and a lot of international students don't actually understand that there's a lot more in common with the international degree, sorry, international curriculum that they're doing, you know, and how that's actually going to track quite nicely to the to this um, US style of education I'll eventually get. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree with you. And actually, I think it, I think we could even kind of expand that a little bit further. And I think it's not, that's absolutely true for IB students, but I think it almost kind of, I think kind of alludes to maybe the kind of one of the underlying themes that that has come out of, of this report. And it's that, you know, it's common knowledge to American high school students might be a completely revolutionary idea 
to international students, you know, depending on where, you know, where they've lived, who their friends are, where their family members have lived, where their teachers have lived. And, you know, so I think, I think one of them is taking the opportunity to align the kind of the curriculum that a lot of U.S. universities kind of offer students a chance to follow with the curriculums that they're already taking, whether that be the IB or something else. I mean, there are also, you know, there are also exceptions. There are universities in the U.S. that allow you to specialize a lot more closely. But again, you know, the differences between the two might not be as intuitive to an international student who is looking at university options all over the world and has, you know, heard about you know, universities talk about themselves all over the world, as opposed to an American high school student who's used to hearing the terminology used by American colleges in a specifically American context. You know, I I think we've seen that come up a lot with the confusion over, you know, what does a public university mean? What does a private university mean? What does college mean? You know, all these kinds of terms that are really common knowledge. Like I said, sorry, I keep repeating myself with that phrase, but are very clear to American students, but won't necessarily be to international students. And I think, again, drawing that back to your point about the IB, I think it's, I think, yeah, there is a missed opportunity for universities if they don't approach kind of explaining the American academic culture in in those same terms and with that same clarity and making sure that international students kind of understand those first principles. So are you almost saying that, I don't know, the most useful thing that, um, a university could do when it was reaching out to international students at a school for the first time is apply like you know a glossary of terms because you're you know you're right and different words do mean different things in different countries um and a lot of that lingo is really unfamiliar to people i mean i remember that you know i've been writing about the u.s education system for three and a half years but before i worked here you know a lot of my um understanding of it was just purely tucked from american popular culture and just watching too much television whereas i guess with you you know being an international student, potentially being an um, an American citizen, might have given you that advantage. Absolutely, and, and you know, you you were saying that I had a I had an advantage coming from an international school background, and and I don't necessarily think that's true in the sense that you know there's still there's still differences between terminology employed by you know all the different countries that students might be applying to today that I'm still learning, and that still surprised me, and it's. You know, I, I think it's, it's a really actually common source of confusion. And, um, you know, something as simple as like public versus private universities, there's actually so much to unpack there for an international student or a student who's residing abroad and thinking of, of coming to the U.S. to study, whether it's back to the U.S. or just coming to the U.S. for the first time. So, you know, just to, to kind of flesh that out a little bit more. Well, first of all, there's the, there's the distinction that public, as you said, public school means different things in different countries. But so do public universities, not necessarily in the literal sense. It might mean that they all have, that they're kind of all affi- like state affiliated um, or partially or fully state funded. But in terms of, you know, what that means for the international student themselves, there's a huge difference between, you know, a state affiliated university in, let's say, Germany, where tuition free fees are free, and a state affiliated university in Pennsylvania, where the fees are very, very much not free. <laughs> and that's a huge difference. And, 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 you know, so that's, that's a big one for international students. But again, to unpack that, you know, one level deeper still, I was one of the international, the few international students who also happened to have American nationality, if you're one of my parents. And I, 
even I didn't really understand, you know, the the nuances that that would imply. So for example, I had no idea that, you know, I, I'd heard, I remember hearing these, you know, how true they were, I couldn't tell you, but I remember these hearing these horror stories of, of, you know, of, you know, peers looking at websites and comparing the out-of-state tuition um, for public universities in the US and the, the in-state tuition um, for state residents and thinking like, oh my goodness, you know, it's, it's going to be three times as much, four times as much, five times as much, not realizing that, you know, in, in the grander scheme of the, the kind of US higher education market, well, first of all, that's not necessarily true for private universities. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be true at all. But then also that there's, you know, scholarship and, and funding opportunities that come into those sticker prices and and that those can become available to international students or to US residents residing abroad or all those kind of intricacies. Yeah. And I think this um, brings me to one of the things that I found really interesting in the report, which, you know, it, when it comes back to the sort of counselor interviews that we did, and there was a lot of feedback about, and I talked about this on an inter- um, webinar with the Pi News last week, there's this real question around transparency and the ease of access that, that students have. Um, and just, you know, just giving them easy access to this information. And I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned the scholarship thing, and that's an interesting example because sometimes it's not about sticker price. It's about, um, it's about other things as well. You know, it's, it's sometimes can be about the prestige, you know, it's, it's about, for example, you know, students being able to turn around to their parents and say, look, I've got this sort of full ride scholarship. Isn't it amazing? And I think, you know, the fact that sometimes the US universities don't always make this information readily available can be quite, you know, confusing and daunting to um, to students. Yeah, I, I, I'd i be inclined to agree with you. I think that there's, well, for example, let's go, let's go back to that, that example that you just mentioned about the, the prestige of a scholarship, you know, in uh, applying for higher education is really daunting for students in some cases probably all the more so today's students like i really feel for you know today's students and and writing for them and and kind of realizing that you know what was so scary for me to do eight years ago has somehow become even more scary (laughs) just just from kind of everything that the world's gone through and everything that these teenagers have been through in in the last couple of years and i i don't think it's too far stretched to imagine that that might be impacting the amount of pressure they put on themselves and the you know any doubts that they might be having and i think that you know the what a scholarship can say to an international student is we really think you're worth it and that can mean a lot for an international student who has you know potentially maybe changed schools a lot of times throughout their life who's changed curriculums a lot of time throughout their lives who maybe are searching for a university experience where they might find a little bit of that sense of home that they might feel that they haven't had much of a chance to to kind of experience yet or to put down that many roots. And so, you know, obviously scholarships are in large part about access and about funding. But I think it's important for universities to recognize also that there's that there's another kind of emotional aspect as well and something that can can actually mean a lot to international students and can also, you know, potentially help them convince their parents to let them go somewhere they're really excited to go. It can be a great, it can help them feel more secure that, you know, it'll, it'll be a great starting point for them to start, you know, to mention in their CVs or in, or when they're applying for internships, it, it can add an extra layer of security that isn't just financial. Yeah. And I think you've made a really 
fantastic point, really emotionally intelligent point about how daunting the application process can be for students and how, you know, it roots back to these questions about, you know, what, what am I going to do with my life? Um, you know, what am I going to do with my career? That sort of thing. I also think it's interesting because it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, navigating the different types of institution, whether that's public or private, you know, liberal arts colleges. Because if we go back to the report for a minute, you know, one of the things I found interesting about it was that, you know, in like um, an international school in North Africa, one of the counselors we spoke to said that for his students, East Coast business schools particularly were attractive to students. Um, and, you know, I think that some students and their parents have a very fixed idea of certain US institutions. And I think one of the things that we've started to learn as I've started, you know, as I've been writing content for universities, and I think you'd probably agree with me on this one, is that, um, especially because, you know, you've been running lots of different types of events for universities, is that, um, you know, it really establishing a kind of core messaging um, and, and establishing like a brand story can really help those lesser institutions establish themselves and, um, you know, help universities like liberal arts colleges, small liberal arts colleges, for example, you know, talk about why they might be a good fit for students. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think also, I think it's important to recognize that, it, it, you know, international students are often, like I imagine many, you know, American high schoolers will be, looking at universities and doing their research with insights from their parents. And their parents might also have, you know, similar, very fixed ideas that might, you know, they might be rooted in in league tables they might be rooted in what you know in hearsay from friends or you know people that they know or even kind of what was you know kind of hot in the news when when they were looking at universities themselves you know a generation previous but and again i think that's you know different different cultures even different families will place a different emphasis on on the kind of the weight of parent expectations on the decision the student ends up making about where they accept an offer and that's also, I think, where scholarships can come into the question, because to be able to say, you know, I got a full ride scholarship, even if it's to an institution that, you know, maybe, you know, grandma hasn't heard of or my best friend hasn't heard of or something like that, it it can still add or carry with it that sense of prestige. You know, I have, I got, you know, a full ride scholarship to a U.S. institution it can actually be a really important negotiation tool for students who are perhaps not seeing quite eye to eye with their parents on where they'd like to study. Yeah, that's all really interesting. And like, yes. And so just talk about this for hours, but I mean, can I just talk about this, ask you about this from another angle, which is um, because obviously this year, one of the things we did in the report is we don't just look at the national trends. We also examine um, international students' interests in the USA on a state by state basis. Um, and, you know, I, so my next question for you really is, what do you think universities need to do to sort of tell a more local story about who they are? Because, of course, we're not just talking about um, US education. Sometimes we might be talking about California education or a New York education or a Boston education or a Chicago education. Do you know what I mean? So I just wondered if you have any real tips on, you know, how these institutions can um, set up more of a local store for themselves. Yeah, no, I think that's a that's a really great question. And I think it so I think it starts with, you know, the that more kind of um, high level introduction to what makes a US education unique. But then using that as a jumping off point to, you know, explain what is it about, you know, studying at a in a particular city, in a particular state, at a particular institution that's gonna offer a student unique opportunities that they wouldn't get elsewhere. 
and something you know it's you you mentioned kind of tv shows earlier when we were when we were talking and i think you know one of the things that i frequently thought about when i was living in europe and and even studying my you know my undergraduate degree in europe was you, you know you'd see shows of high school in the US or university in the US and there's such strong school spirit community spirit or you'd see how different um, the geography the climate the culture of cities were and I think that's again it, it you know I speaking as someone who kind of saw that from the outside it was incredibly attractive and it, it definitely definitely gave me that kind of you know to, to use a phrase that's kind of been doing the rounds on social media that FOMO that kind of fear of missing out and so I think there's that's that's one element to it is almost kind of leaning into again what might seem so common knowledge to American high school students could seem like they're finally getting to live in a tv show for international students because it won't necessarily be their day to day. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think there's a lot of truth in that and um you know, I didn't go to the USA. I, I went to a UK university um you know, specifically the University of Manchester and you know to our listeners who aren't familiar with UK universities Manchester's really in the northwest of England. And you know, my perception of it was of course really rooted in in popular culture, you know, TV TV shows I'd watched, songs I'd listened to. And, you know, I, I do think for, you forget, you know, that's that kind of underreported um, aspect of making decisions when you're a teenager, you know, how, how much it's rooted by these things that, you know, you will never get picked up by data or statistics. Absolutely. And, and I think if I may, I think it also, you know, there's, there's almost a second hidden half of the coin here, which is the first is, is selling or kind of communicating what makes the, the place and the institution special. But the second one is, I think, you know, part of that kind of exchange in terms of welcoming a student is, is, is actually going to helping them feel, you know, welcome and, and part of that community. And I, I think this goes back to what we were saying about scholarships, where, you know, there's that emotional aspect as well, that sense of, you know, I, it's secure, I feel recognized for my hard work or I feel valued. I think that's something as well that, you know, international students might be a little bit worried about. And for some cases, it'll be their first move abroad. Maybe they've lived in a country, you know, for their entire life and they're thinking about going abroad for university and they're worried about that transition, about settling in, about feeling welcome, about flourishing there. And in, in other cases, you might have students who are so used to moving around that they're really yearning to find somewhere where they're not gonna move for three or four years. You know, in some cases, students, and this was my experience, will change countries during the school year multiple times a year. And and so I think in both cases, it's there's almost like the the second half of of portraying, you know, your campus or your university as as incredibly welcoming is is actually making those students feel welcome from the get go. And that doesn't necessarily have to be through scholarships. It could be through something that I think you you kind of put really elegantly in the report, which is tailoring the recruitment strategy to the specific, you know, country or county or town that, as you know, that school is located in, or taking the time to explain that glossary of terms that international students might feel a little bit lost without. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point. And um, I think incidentally as well, you know, scholarships and financial aid, it's important to probably say that that's not the only um pain point or need that students have but that sort of takes me quite nicely onto my next point which is that you know students needs 
when it comes to the application process are going to be very different from region to region. I think that's borne out by the interviews that we've had with the councillors in this report, right? And, you know, I think that's why I've enjoyed working on it so much. Um, because, you know, one of the other things that we're learning is the, the very nature of an international student is changing. The definition is changing. An international student no longer means what it did 25 years ago. Um, in the same way that, you know, you might have a inverted commas, traditional international student, although I don't really like that word, who has moved around from country to country. Increasingly, you know, international students might now just be in school, in state schools where they have an international stream. Um, you know, I mean, it's just so fascinating about how the, how the whole market is just changing and just becoming more and more just diverse and different and the challenges that universities and, and, and we face really understanding that. I mean, I could talk to you about this for hours, but I think, you know, I, I think I probably would just like to sort of like bring it back to our kind of bring it back full circle really to our, to our original question. Um, so, I mean, you know, we started by talking about how the U S is being challenged by other countries. Interesting fact, of course, you've raised the course of this interview, you didn't go to the United States. Um, and so I think, you know, my, one of my questions is, you know, why didn't you go? And I mean, and I suppose what would your advice now be to, um, us universities who are being, um, now challenged by these new international destinations who, who are, as you say, um, are now facing these, these new international rivals who, who are offering things that potentially US universities maybe can't anymore. I think I didn't go because I was missing some really important information that actually exactly relates to why a US, you know, university education is, is still really worthwhile. And it's, you know, obviously this was 2014. So I was, you know, already part of that generation who had a smartphone and a world of information at their fingertips. So perhaps saying I didn't have enough information is simplifying a bit too much. I would say I didn't know how to process that information. I was missing those kind of comparison points between all of my different options. And I didn't therefore really know how to put all that information together in order to decide what was going to be the best fit for me. I didn't know the scholarship would ever be an option. I had no idea that it was something I could even look for. I didn't know where to look for it in the US, but I had through hearsay, purely through hearsay, heard that it was easier to look for funding options, you know, whether they were scholarships or loans in a couple of other countries. I didn't know that, you know, that what I, what I mentioned about one of those key things that I think is um, fantastic about the kind of US higher education scene is students have a lot of control depending on like which universities they choose on how quickly and how specifically they specialize. I had no idea. I didn't know that in the US you didn't have to declare a major um, at some universities until your second or third year. And I, you know, I, I, I didn't know some of those key things in the sense of, you know, how do they relate to the other options I'm looking at? And what does that actually mean? Okay, so even if I had Googled that and I don't, you know, I know I don't need to do a major, I don't need to declare a major, what does that actually mean in terms of like the split of my classes, the different subjects that I get to do, how they all fit together and how that could offer a different a different pathway for the future than, you know, another another country. And, and also how can I pick what aligns best with the curriculum I'm doing with my career goals. I think, yeah, it was, sorry, it's a very long-winded answer. Um. <laughs> no, it's fine. I think, you know, I think you've just given loads of really, you know, useful and just fascinating insights into like, you know, why, 
the, the challenges you faced. And I think, you know, without wishing to plug too much the company we both work for, I think you've just hit the nail on the head as to why so many international students rely on Bridgeview and, and you know, use Bridgeview because, you know, it, it, it stops them from relying on that anecdotal information, which which can be really unhelpful when you're when you're a teenager, when you're trying to make these decisions, these big life decisions. Um, because, you know, it puts countries side by side. It shows you the benefits of one, you know, the pitfalls of another. And it sort of says, you know, it lays out the choices at their feet and sort of gives them to in a really factual way. And I think, you know, you and I, we work really hard, I think, to, it's what I, you know, I've always been really proud of that we, we hold ourselves to a high standard to make sure that our information is as trusted and as impartial as possible. Um, so, you know, that was probably, that's probably really useful. It probably would have been, you know, I'm not the first person who I think would say that they wish they'd had Bridgeview when they were, um, students themselves. Um, so, you know, it, you know, it's all great. Um, so I'm going to limit you to a final, um, sort of 60, 90 second answer to this one. What would your sort of closing three tips be to a US university that is trying to compete with another destination or country at the moment, you know, and what would your advice be to say, for example, an admissions team and international admissions rep that's trying to nurture a student from recruitment through to final deposit? I think number one would be to take the time to make those students feel welcome and valued, you know, even if it's by taking a little bit of time to to know more about where they're located and understanding maybe, you know, what misconceptions they might have about the US application system or what, you know, what dictionary definitions they might need. I think the second one is going to be making those comparison points between the US and other destinations visible to students. As And that can be as simple as, you know, kind of really taking the time to explain, you know, what 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 is a major going to look like? What are those three years or four years or, you know, five years going to look like in, in one country compared to another? And what's that going to, what are they going to look like at your university, at your school? And I'd say the final one would be to just be transparent. And, you know, like I said, students are used to having a wealth of information at their fingertips. And the the more transparent universities are from the get-go, the, and I'm, of course, I'm not accusing any universities of not being transparent at all. I think, it, again, it comes back to that fact that some things can get lost in translation, even when everyone's speaking English, but being very transparent can help students feel like they, like they've been given all of the information that maybe they don't even know that they need, and that will help them feel more confident in their decision. And I think that confidence um, is something that a lot of them are looking for when faced with, you know, such an uncertain world and if you know your university can can present information to student in a way where they feel like they like they have everything they need to make that informed choice I think that can go a really long way brilliant thank you so much and nice to you know kind of end on a really lovely note of, sort of confidence there as well and um, especially when this is our first recording together um so um, just before we close out, I think we should probably just mention that um, if you want to download our free report, The State of U.S. International Applications 2022, you can download it by going to the website universities.bridgeu.com forward slash blog forward slash resources. And there's obviously, as well as that, this report, there's obviously a wealth of other resources there for, um, you know, any university admissions teams who would find them useful. Um, and of course, as I said, Abby, uh, who's been my guest for today, also writes our school's content and there's loads of amazing um, resources if you're listening to this and you're a counsellor um, or a teacher working in an international school as well. Um, so, you know, please do check that out. Um, and then, I mean, 
this just leads me to say, Abby, thank you so much for joining me. This has been such an insightful interview. I feel like I've learned a lot um, again, and I look forward to having you back at some point in the future. No, thank you so much, James. It's been wonderful.